Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. We pray that your spirit would instruct our hearts and that your spirit would use the word that he has inspired to be written down for our edification, for our encouragement, for our help. We pray that he would use this word to bring forth the fruit that he would like to see manifested in our hearts and lives, to be more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This morning we go back again to our series that we're looking at in the Fruit of the Spirit, passage found in Galatians chapter 5. and We've been sort of slowing the pace down and uh, exploring more insights into what the text of Scripture means there. Galatians chapter 5, we begin reading there in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 18 of Galatians, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned those who will practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There are two approaches to life in this world. Either we live according to the flesh, that is our sin nature, or we live according to the empowering and leading of the Holy Spirit. The outward deeds of the flesh, as I've tried to summarize them from previous weeks, we could break them down into four categories. The outward deeds of the flesh are sexual brokenness, immorality, impurity, sensuality. It is spiritual brokenness, idolatry, and sorcery. It is relational brokenness, involving enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. And lastly, it is substance abuse brokenness, I would call it, because he mentions drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. What a contrast. What a contrast to what then he indicates from the scriptures there in chapter 5, as he speaks about the outward fruit of the Holy Spirit, produced by the work of God's Spirit Himself. He mentions love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this morning we are going to be considering another of that long list of character traits. This morning we're looking at peace as an outward fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus made a distinction when he was talking to his disciples before he was to leave them after his death and resurrection and ascension. And he mentioned to them, listen, I want you to know that there are two kinds of peace in this world. In John 14, in the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus said, To you who are my disciples, I will give you my peace. He says, and he contrasts that with the peace that the world gives. So there's two kinds of peace that people are pursuing or actually experiencing. And this morning I want to build my message on, on these differences between what I've called worldly peace, which Jesus mentioned in John 14, 27, and his peace, 
or the peace that comes through the Spirit and the Spirit's uh, Spirit-produced peace, what we call divine peace. So that's the real contrast I want to try to portray in my message this morning. So the first point is this. I'd like to contrast worldly peace, somehow trying to live and cope with life apart from Christ. I wanted to consider the source of that type of peace, and then I want to look at the symptoms of what it looks like in just several of those. There are many that we could add to the list. I'm just going to mention three. When it comes to worldly peace, Jesus mentioned that there is a peace that is opposite of the peace he gives, and he mentions this idea of world. He's not talking about just material world. When he mentions world here, he's referring to the non-Christian philosophies, the non-Christian ideologies that, that are clearly opposed to the Christian faith. It is the way of thinking that takes Jesus out of the equation and then now fills in the, in the vacuum with man-centered and man-thought-out uh, 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 solutions to life's problems. The problem is that the everyone comes into this world opposed to God. Everyone enters this world at enmity against God. And everyone knows that God exists, according to Romans 1, because, according to the Scriptures, everyone has truth given to them that there is a God who exists, but they suppress that truth. And the truth that's made evident to them by what God has made, they refuse to acknowledge that evidence. And every unregenerate man, woman, and child lives every day with a conscience that is accusing them and condemning them. Because deep down in their soul, they understand there is a day of accountability. They understand that they have done wrong. And rather than honoring God, and rather than giving thanks to God, rather than glorifying God, unbelievers turn to false gods. They find something or someone else to worship, various idols of their hearts. And this is why the peace that is sought by the world will never satisfy Because worldly peace, boil it all down, is rooted in misdirected worship. It will never bring inner calmness to a person's unbeliever's soul. Because every unbeliever faces the angst, the inner turmoil of refusing to come to terms with the true and living God. They are running away from God as fast as they can run. You say, well, some people don't look like they're doing it, but they are. And after commenting on how many unbelievers turn away from God in the way of their hearts, the prophet Isaiah warned this amazing warning. Listen carefully. This is taken from Isaiah 57. He says, The wicked are compared to the tossing sea or the tumultuous ocean. For it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The Apostle Paul, having read that passage, I'm sure, and other passages, he focused on Isaiah 59. And he, in his summary of his argument in Romans 1, 2, and 3, he mentions this statement about the consequences of suppressing the truth and refusing to honor the true and living God. He says this, quote, Romans 3, Destruction and misery are in the paths of those who refuse to worship God. And the path of God's peace they have not known.
The fact that worldly peace is being sought by people apart from God leaves them with the sense they'll never understand nor will they ever experience the peace that only can come from God. They have worldly peace. What are the symptoms of worldly peace? Well, again, there are many that we could talk about. I'd like to mention several I found very helpful from a commentary on Galatians by Terry Johnson. He talks about the peace that the world gives. He points out that many unbelievers are looking for and striving for an inner peace. And the way that which they try to do that is that they are involved in running away from God and they're joining in this race away from God in what I call incessant busyness. Busyness, 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 always on the run. The frenetic pace of life bears witness to the emptiness of soul within mankind. Those people who have pushed God to the margin of their lives are people who are now running in a hectic, hectic pace of life. And isn't it true that so many people in our world today rarely ever slow down? They're always working, always going somewhere, always listening to something, always watching something, always doing something. Incessant busyness. And the quote I have in your notes, which I think is helpful by Johnson, he says this. The hectic pace of life is driven by a massive flight from God. As man seeks peace apart from God. People are so frenetic in their pace of life. It's why? It's because they have nothing inside of them to give them peace. They're looking for something. And they keep thinking, if I just pursue this, if I go after this, if I watch another movie, watch another TV show, watch, if I just stay online all day, at least I can find something that will help me fill the emptiness of my soul. If we're not careful, we as Christians also get caught up in that busyness, don't we? When really what we need is to have quiet moments with our God. Another symptom that I think is perhaps indicative of the kind of emptiness of worldly peace is when so many people want to be a part of a larger gathering of people, a crowd as it were. They want to join a crowd and they seek security in in large numbers of other people who think like them and they want to find safety under the banner of relativism. Relativism, which means what? There are no absolutes. There is no way of saying, this is the way it is, and this is what you must do. No, there's no such thing as absolutes according to those who love relativism. And worldly peace celebrates fuzzy standards of right and wrong. Because what they're seeking to do is that people who are looking for worldly peace and pursuing it in the world, they are committed to one absolute standard, and that is this. They would say, no one has the right to tell me what is right and what's wrong. Because ultimately their attempt is they want to be God. So ungenerate people will seek peace by rejecting biblical standards. They will find faults with Jesus. They'll find faults with the Bible. They'll find faults with other Christians. They'll find faults with anything they can think of. Because rather than admit that they are a sinner, more and more of us will claim to be what? Victims. I am, I, am, I am who I am because of X, Y, Z and 16 reasons why and I can't help it because that's the way my, 
my chromosomes are. I can't help it because that's the way my parents were. I can't help it because my fourth grade teacher was the way they were. And they attribute our choices even to diseases by saying, I can't help it. I am the way I am. Now, there's a truth in that, by the way. I believe sin is a disease of the heart. But not in the sense of what they term diseases. So they put a relativism then becomes the idol that is worshipped by those who demand the right to do whatever they want and to be their own God. My friend, you'll never find peace that way. That's a worldly peace. All about yourself. All about trying to make yourself feel like you're okay by denying the truth that you have fallen short of the glory of God. Another common symptom, and again, as I say, these are just three. There are many we could point out. Another symptom of the world's peace is the increasingly compulsive attempts to passionately pursue self-indulgent pleasure. Self-indulgent pleasure. All around us, don't we see this? Don't we see that in our culture today there's an escape People are trying to escape from the emptiness of a meaningless existence apart from God. And therefore, we have become one of the most self-indulgent, hedonistic, pleasure-seeking societies the world has ever seen or known. In order to fill our empty souls, we pursue endless hours, and none of these are, well, endless hours of playing and watching sports or people who spend endless hours pursuing the fantasy world of pornography and who act out many of those fantasies in the realm of sexual promiscuity in our world. People who are involved in gambling, all types of forms of gambling, abusing drugs, consuming alcohol in ways that are destructive and damaging and addictive. It is these addictive pursuits that promise pleasure. They promise excitement as a means of deadening emotional pain or somehow escaping from painful realities of life as they live it in this world. And instead of finding peace and calmness of soul in all these pursuits, we end up reaping sexual brokenness, relational brokenness, and substance abuse brokenness. Right off the list there, from the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. It happens to people who are extremely brilliant in their mental capacity, who are famous writers. It happens in the lives of people who drop out of school, who hardly know how to read. It doesn't matter where you are on the, on the scale of your level of education. These are issues of the heart. This is the kind of symptoms you have of worldly peace. H.G. Wells, the great writer and thinker who adopted Darwin's evolutionary way of understanding the world, which I would call naturalism, taking again God out of the equation and then look at life apart from any kind of sign of God. This is what he said toward the end of his life. He wrote these words. The time has come for me to reorganize my life. This is at the end of his life. Time has come for me to reorganize my life. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. H.G. Wells. 
Worldly peace is a hopeless dream because God is ignored and God has been replaced by something or someone else. And worldly peace promises what I would call a canoe ride on a quiet lake. Tranquility. It's promising some sort of wholeness and well-being. But the reality is, is that worldly peace is actually a raft ride in class five rapids that are headed toward a waterfall over 3,000 feet tall. No wonder Jesus tried to show there's a vast contrast between people seeking peace apart from him versus the peace that he alone can give. And that's what I'd like to spend the rest of my time looking at this morning. I want to consider divine peace. The peace that is produced by the Holy Spirit that he speaks of here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. This is the peace that only Jesus can give. It is a peace that he says in other parts of Scripture passes human comprehension. It is, it is what the world cannot fathom. The world cannot comprehend this peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It is a peace that has to do with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, according to Romans chapter 14, is a kingdom that is characterized by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so who is the source of this kind of peace? Well, obviously, there's true lasting peace comes only from God. One frequent title that is given for God in the New Testament, I've listed all uh, several of those texts of Scripture. I hope you'll look them up at a subsequent time. But in your notes, you'll notice that it says, He is the God of peace. Every time you read a phrase called of something, the, the God of peace, you can understand that phrase that has the of, you can understand it in a number of ways. I would call this the God who is the source of peace. In other words, peace comes from God. That's where you find it. Divine peace can only be found in God and in His gospel. Because God is the one who has provided peace to guilty sinners like you and me. Through His only Son, Jesus Christ. It is on the cross that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, bore our sins in His body. It is on the cross that He removes our true moral guilt of everyone who believes on Him. Of everyone who repents of their sins. It is in the gospel that God remedies all of our offenses against him and reconciles us to himself, puts us on to a status of which we enjoy a good relationship with God, a, a, a context in which the relationship is not characterized by rebellion and guilt and enmity. It is Christ who has sacrificed for us. In our scripture readings, we, we noted that, did we not? Colossians chapter 1, it was for the Father's good pleasure through Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. There's an absence of enmity. There's an absence of moral guilt before God as the fruit of those who have been declared right with God through the cross of Christ. And Romans 5.1, are you familiar with that passage of Scripture? Romans 5.1, one of the great texts of Scripture talking about peace with God. He says, therefore, having been justified, having been declared right with God by faith, not because we have 
done all these things to try to earn our way to God, but by trusting in what Christ has done for us, we have been declared right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message of peace in the gospel. Peace can only come through atonement. And the Spirit of God says in Isaiah 53, that wonderful text of Scripture, I've been reading that, reading some of the servant songs found in Isaiah, it says the Messiah was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our peace fell upon Him. And by His scourging we were healed. In other words, our peace, the enjoyment of a whole relationship with God and being on terms with Him of no longer having any kind of enmity, no longer any guilt before Him. Our peace, what it took to provide that, fell upon our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Trying to be a better person, trying to appease God's wrath by good works and efforts to somehow do self-reformation will never, ever bring peace with God. The only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior who was slain for you. Peace is found by coming to Christ in humble faith, understanding the weight of your sin, understanding that you have no one to blame for your wrongdoing and sins, owning them for your own, and crying out to Him, saying, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a wretch. I've broken your law. I have no excuse. And you turn from your sinful attempts to be your own Savior and you confess Him as Lord and as Master of your life. My friend, that is where you will find mind-blowing peace. Peace the world will never comprehend. It will not be found apart from Christ. It's only found in Christ. Have you come to know that peace, my friend? I can remember the day when that happened in my life. I can remember crying out to Lord To save me, I can remember saying, Lord Jesus, I can't understand how you have died for me, but I desperately need a Savior like you. That day was a day in which I began to understand the peace of God. I understood what it had to be to have assurance of salvation. I understood at that moment how I didn't need to be afraid of dying. It radically changed my life. Have you experienced that peace in your life, my friend? Peace with God. So that you don't have to sit there and feel like everything that happens, you wonder if, am I ready? Am I ready? Can I really face the God who knows everything about me? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Find peace through Christ. What are the symptoms of this wonderful peace? Oh, there's so many things we could say here. I've just picked a few here. May I just say this? There is no greater blessing I can't think of hardly any greater blessing in this world than the inner experience of God's peace in one's heart. Having received by faith the gift of peace with God through Jesus Christ, my friend, then we can now enjoy the peace of God, the peace that belongs to uh, the relationship we have with God ongoing as we enjoy fellowshipping with Him, a peace that comes from God in our day-to-day life. True believers enjoy a calmness of mind and a tranquility of heart that is rooted in the assurance that God is not against us. He is for us in the gospel. And therefore, no matter what happens, we can enjoy peace, the peace of Christ, the peace of God 
in every situation of life. As the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we indeed are the children of God, we begin to enjoy divine peace, knowing that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of Christ. No matter what you go through in this world, the peace of God is not dependent upon pleasant circumstances. It is not dependent on having an absence and the removing of all struggles in your life. The peace of Christ is found in Jesus, knowing that He abides with us in every situation of life, knowing that He has triumphed over the forces of wickedness in this world, and therefore we can know a peace, a calmness of heart and soul. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. John 16, page 1285 in the Pew Bible. Or find it on your electronic reader. (laughs) You'll be the first one to find it anyway. John 16. Look at the last verse of that chapter. This is the last words recorded by John before he records the prayer of our dear Savior in John 17. So the last words spoken to these Disciples who are probably about to fall apart when he leaves them, knowing that it's going to be very difficult for them. He gives them this incredible word to hang on to. 1633, these things I have spoken to you, that in me, in me, he says, you may have, what? Peace. He says, in the world, you have tribulation. Jesus is not trying to hinder us from, belie- from seeing what really is there. He's not saying, okay, deny the reality of evil and difficulties and problems and, 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 and affliction in the world. No, he's saying there's going to be tribulation in this world. I'm telling you. He says, but take courage. I have overcome. I've overcome the world. All of this evil system, I have overcome it all. Years ago, a submarine was on patrol and was submerged doing its duty under the water there for quite a long time, several days. And when that submarine returned to harbor, a friend of the captain pulled him aside and said, Captain, I'm just curious, how did you and your crew fare during that time we had that horrendous nor'easter storm that came through and created incredible amounts of uh, wave heights and, you know, it's just an awful storm. The officer looked at him and said, he said, what storm are you talking about? He said, we didn't know there even was one. And what the man didn't know was that the submarine was so far down, it had reached a place, which sailors understand this, there's a place within the ocean, if you go deep down enough, you find what is called the cushion, the cushion of the sea. And this particular sub, even though the the top surface of the ocean is stirred up and there's huge amounts of currents and waves and it's just the high winds are creating all kinds of havoc and tumultuous conditions. The vessel, like a submarine, can get to the, so deep within the ocean that it's not affected by those waters. It is actually calm and tranquil deep down in the ocean. And I would suggest to you, my friend, that a Christian's mind, a mind of a true believer can be protected from the tumultuous waves of worry and fear caused by troubling circumstances that seem to throw our lives into all kinds of tizzy. 
And I'd like to direct your thoughts and minds to this quote in your notes by A.T. Pearson. The peace of God is that eternal calm that lies far too deep in the praying, trusting soul to be reached by any external disturbances. What he's saying is that as you rely upon God and who He is and what we have achieved in the gospel and what we have received in the gospel and as we continue to claim His promises, the more we can understand a calmness of soul no matter how much chaos, tumultuous situations going on all around us. He says there's a sense in which you can be far removed from those things within your heart because of an understanding and experience of the peace of God. You say, well, man, that's not my experience. Or I understand that maybe a few times in my life, but that's not something that's typical of my life. And the Spirit needs to really work on me to develop this peace in my heart. Let me just suggest to you a couple of suggestions here as I call this stimulants of growth. How do we see fruit going? Obviously, the Holy Spirit has to do this. But how does the Spirit do it? Well, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, page 1398. Just a couple of quick comments here. I think most of us know this. Maybe, I hope most of us know this if you've been a Christian for a while. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I am saying there's hope for those of us who struggle with the lack of peace as the Spirit continues His work. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Look at how broad that is. Everything. You say, oh, well, that, this, is, this is a problem I have at work. In everything. This is a problem I have at home. In everything. By prayer and supplication, which means I don't just pray once, I pray with earnestness. I keep on seeking God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you say that one of the things you can glean from this text of Scripture, well known, is that peace is a byproduct of a pattern of praying about everything. That prayer is one of the things that can help us see the Spirit working in our midst drawing us closer and closer to to Christ and to lifting our hearts before our Father in heaven, this is what the Spirit will oftentimes work in us is a sense of calming peace as we pray. And one of the reasons that many of us lack peace is that we fail to cast our burdens on the Lord. And why is that? Is it because we're so frenetically paced in life? We're so busy, 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 doing, 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 watching, 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 being entertained, being entertained, being entertained, is that we never take time to begin to calm our hearts before our Heavenly Father, enjoying His sweet fellowship with Him. And we neglect oftentimes, isn't it true, that when we are going through a stormy trial, is that we never ever thank God. All we do is just make known our request. There's nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate. But we forget to thank Him for what is nonetheless true in the middle of the storm. So we neglect to thank God for His wisdom. 
We somehow forget to thank him for his grace, for his love, for his promise to work all things together for those who love him or called according to his purposes. It's no wonder that the hymn writer said, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then what does he say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. We lose out on it. Why? Oh, uh, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, sorry, let me... Re- re- oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. I have to sing it in order to keep from... Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If we spent more time praying and devoting and encouraging our hearts to turn to God in the midst of the storm, God will use that oftentimes to help us find the cushion of the sea, to find that peaceful place where we say, okay, Lord, you're here with me. Thank you for understanding what I'm dealing with and calming my my worrisome heart and mind. There's a great text of Scripture, Isaiah 26. I'd encourage you to look this up, mark it in your Bible sometime, ponder this in the week ahead. Isaiah 26 says, The steadfast of mind, you, God, will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. We have a place that we can find security. We have, a, we have a person that we can turn to and know that we find safety and security. It's in the Lord. That's where you find peace. Turning to Him in prayer. May I suggest another means by which the Holy Spirit will develop in us the fruit of peace? It comes as the people of God read and ponder and memorize and reflect upon the Word of God. So I would say... In your notes, it's biblical meditation. Meditating upon the Scriptures. Reflecting on the Scriptures. So much so that we begin to say, I think I need to apply the Scriptures to my life. It's biblical, really, meditation and application. If you still got Philippians 4 in front of you, Philippians 4, what does he say after he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? What's the next thing? Think on these things starts talking about your your thought life what are we supposed to be thinking about what we think about oftentimes directs how our emotions are and what we actually experience within our emotion life did you know that what you think and believe has a direct bearing on how you feel i'll let you ponder that one for a while that's true if you think you're in an impossible situation if you think that you're in danger If you think the floor of this building is going to cave away at any moment, guess what? You're going to have a high blood pressure and be a nervous wreck. All right, what am I saying? My point is this. Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have great peace. The more I think about and ponder what God has said in His Word, the more it helps me Fill my mind with thoughts that are appropriate and true and excellent, a good report. That's what oftentimes will lead me into experiencing the kind of peace the Holy Spirit wants to work in my life. And that's why he says in Colossians 3, 15, 16, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful Let the word about Christ richly dwell within you. Let it be at home in your heart, in your mind. Be familiar with it. Know your way around in it. Be able to think those thoughts in the middle of the storms you go through in life. 
That leads me to my final thought here, and that is to tell the familiar story. And I know many of you have heard this many times, and it, will, it could stand to hear it again, I'm sure. This was the experience of a brother in Christ named Horatio Spafford. He was a successful businessman, lived in Chicago. He was well off financially, believe me. Um, and he was a committed follower of Christ and a generous financial backer of Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist. He gave very generously to his ministry and I'm sure helped support the institution that's there in Chicago now. As a result of a fire that destroyed most of the city of Chicago in 1871, Spafford suffered huge financial losses. But that did not, that storm did not undermine his faith and trust in Christ. He continued his zeal and desire to be a part of what God is doing and serving the Lord and supporting his, his, uh, this evangelist Moody. And so he decided he wanted to assist Moody and travel with uh, part of the group that was going over to Europe. And so he agreed to take his family, his wife, his four, daughter, four, four uh, children, and they traveled. They, they were set and planning to go to Europe. Due to some last-minute business responsibilities that came up unintendedly, he had to send his wife and four children onto that ship that they had scheduled to go with. He sent them off on their way. He remained behind to finish his business with the intention of meeting them soon thereafter. En route, the ship that his family was traveling on collided with another ship. And according to the records I read this week, the ship that his family was on sank within 12 minutes of that collision. A couple who had four daughters, those four daughters drowned. Mrs. Spafford, Spafford made it back to safety. She was rescued. And she wired back a message to her husband, saved alone. When Spafford got that message, he moved quickly and went and caught the next boat he possibly could catch to deal with this unbelievable situation and join his grieving wife. As they came to the place now on this ship, trying to head over to Europe, Spafford was told by the captain of that ship who knew the situation. The captain confided in him, this is about the general area where that collision and where that ship sank. It was on that ship and soon thereafter that Spofford reflected on the pain he is going through, the storm of what he was dealing with. And it is from that in which he wrote these stirring words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is the peace that the Holy Spirit can only work in the heart of a believer who is anchored to Christ and to the word about Christ and to the gospel of Christ and to the assurance and constantly lifting up their hearts to Christ. Where do you need peace, my friend? You say, oh, I just, I'm just asking God to change my circumstances. No, can you say, Lord, 
Can you change me? Can you give me a peace wherever you've assigned me to know that in here I can know the peace of God through Jesus Christ? Let's pray. I don't know your situation. I don't know what storm you're in at this point in your life. But I assure you, God knows. As you're bowed before the Lord now, I just would like to ask a couple of questions. Are you ready to die? Are you ready for the day when you'll leave this earth? You're not presumptuously assuming that you've got another 30 years, are you? There are people that die every day that are your age in this world. The question is, do you know peace with God? Have you ever come and humbly acknowledged your sins to God and asked that Christ be the one who can be your sin bearer, your Savior, to rescue you from the just wrath that you deserve from God? Have you ever responded to the love of Christ who gave himself for you? Placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Repented of your sins? And confess Jesus as Lord, I urge you, today is the day of salvation. You will never know the peace of God until you have, a, have experienced and come to Christ and know peace with God. And are you here today and you have professed faith in Christ? And you are no longer fearing condemnation. But do you know the peace of Christ ruling and reigning, guarding your heart and mind? Are you in the middle of a storm? My question to you is, are you turning to the one who has saved you? Are you turning to the anchor, the rock, the one who can save and protect and keep you? Is your heart finding encouragement in the scriptures? I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do a mighty work by your Spirit, Lord, bring those who are been holding on to and seeking after worldly wisdom, I pray that you would bring them into the sweet knowledge of understanding what it is to have peace with you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even today, Lord, you want to draw someone to yourself. And Father, I pray for those of us who have peace with you. I pray that you would, Lord, help us by the Holy Spirit to see greater fruit of that peace in our day-to-day life, that we would know calmness of soul in the midst of whatever storm you have us in, knowing that you are with us and for us in the gospel. Lord, work this fruit in us, we pray, for we cannot produce it on our own. We pray that you would have your way in us. In Christ's name, amen.